Father, as you tell us today in your word uh, that we're not to forsake the assembling of one another, especially as we see the day drawing near, or the day of your return, and uh, the events we looked at or heard about last week, we saw happen uh, in our country are, are pretty much indicators that that day is rapidly approaching. Lord, and that, it should be an encouragement for all of us to, to take very seriously this matter of drawing near to you. Uh, that's, what, uh, that's what we're studying, Lord, and, and uh, there's only one way to draw near to you, Lord, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Lord, it's, it's, it's such a simple and profound truth, but Lord, so many people miss it. So many of us are, are so busy with the things of this world, Lord, that, that we fail to, to take the time to really draw near to you. Lord, we, we, we really don't have that sense of your presence that you want us to have. And so, Lord, I ask you to take these lessons that we're looking at today, and especially as we talk about this issue that's affecting our country, I just ask that you guide this discussion, Lord, uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit and and uh, that it's everything that's said here is said in love, and, and uh, Lord, uh, that, 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 that there's a time to weep and a time to, for joy, Lord. It, it seems like maybe there's a, it's a time to weep. And I just, I just ask today that you just, I, I pray for our country. Uh, we're in serious trouble, and I just pray for our country that, Lord, that uh, you'll use these events to maybe make a change in this country. But, Lord, if, if, if this is the end, if we're coming towards the end, we just thank you for, for Jesus Christ. We thank you for our hope, and, and uh, we know where we're, where, how this story ends, Lord, and, and, and we just thank you for that. Father, I just ask you to bless this study today. I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. If you look at your Bibles, we're in Hebrews chapter 10, and the text that I had for today was Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses... Uh, 11 through 25, and I want to read, before we get started today, I want to read verse number 25 where he says, actually we can back up, he says in verse 24 of chapter 10 of Hebrews, he said, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is, as is the manner of some. But exhorting one another, assembling so we can exhort one another, and so much more as we see the day approaching. So much more as we see the day approaching. Y'all have to pray for me here. This is going to be a tough one. I believe the day is rapidly approaching, the day of the Lord. All of you, I'm sure, know about the Supreme Court decision this past week where homosexual marriage was made legal in the United States of America. Uh, personally, I think this decision is close to the worst thing that has ever happened to this nation. I, I don't think, I think 9-11 was pretty bad. 9-11 was a wake-up call. It was as if God was saying, wake up, turn around. It was a harbinger of bad things to come if we don't turn around. 
And what happened this past Friday is as if we said to the Lord, we're not going to turn around as a nation. And what really scares me about this is, if you read Romans chapter 1, and you watch the scenario of the destruction of an individual or the destruction of a nation, the last thing in, or the last step in that process is where God turns people over to their lust so that men have relations with men and women have relationships with women. And when an individual gets that bad, it's as if God's ready to turn them over. And if a nation gets that bad, it's as if God is ready to turn us over. It's, it's almost as if he's given up, not on you, but it's almost as if he's given up on this nation. We're studying the book of Daniel, and, and I was jumping ahead, and I've been reading through some of these prophecies, trying to prepare for what's coming, in, not what's coming with the prophecies, but what's coming in my study, because it's a real difficult study. And I was looking at Daniel chapter 7 last week. And in Daniel chapter 7, there are four beasts in the end of times. There's, there's the, the bear. Most of you know who the bear is. It's really interesting that the bear has three ribs in his mouth as if, and blood coming out of his mouth as if he's eaten recently three nations. The bear, I have no doubt, is Russia. And it's kind of almost reads like out of the newspaper that Crimea and Georgia and now Ukraine have been eaten by the bear. Then there's the leopard. And the leopard, most scholars would say the leopard is this uh, group of Middle Eastern countries that sweep through the Middle East in the last days. Something much like what's happening with ISIS right now. Some people say it's Germany. You're going to get different takes on that. But the beast that really bothers me, it kind of worries me a little bit, is this beast this lion who is lifted up by eagles, eagle's wings. Now, if you've ever been to England, and I have, the lion is everywhere. The lion is symbolic of England, and I have little doubt that, that, in, that Daniel, what he saw in that beast represented the nation of England lifted up by eagle's wings. Where did those eagle wings come from? They came from England, and who do those eagle wings represent? Who's the eagle? Well, you know, we are the eagle. But something happens in that vision. Suddenly those wings are plucked away, taken away, and the lion has to stand on his own. And while all of these things are going, a fourth beast rises up, of ten nations with a little horn. And the little horn is the Antichrist. So all of these things are happening. The bear and the eagle being destroyed and the lion being lifted up on its own. 
having to stand on its own. And the leopard going across wherever, whoever the leopard is, we can't be sure. We can't really be sure about the eagle either. Those are, those are my take on it and some other people's take on it. But it sure does fit into what we're looking at in today's times. And I think we're rapidly approaching the day of the Antichrist. And all of these events are kind of falling into place. And, and uh, I have no doubt that, that uh, the end is near. Now, I want to dig deeper into this issue of this, what happened Friday. Uh, first of all, let me tell you where we stand as a church. Of course, David already has made his statement on the front of the bulletin. You can see that there. He, he made his statement. So he'll go to jail first. <laughs> wow. Let me tell you where we stand at Calvary Chapel of Lafayette. We don't hate homosexuals. If a homosexual comes in here, we welcome. If you're a homosexual here today, you're welcome here. But we do not agree that homosexuality is okay. We agree with what the Bible says. It is an abomination to the Lord. Adultery is an abomination to the Lord. Covetousness is an abomination to the Lord. But you can't change any of that and say it's not an abomination to the Lord. So here at Calvary Chapel, I'll tell you right now, I, I agree with David sent me Steve Horn's blog Friday and, and, and his stand as far as First Baptist goes. They're not going to... Uh, uh, marry homosexuals in their church and they're not going to allow their church to be used for homosexual weddings and, and that's I take that stand here too and if somebody's got to go to jail then Roy's going to be the one that's going to do it We've, Dave and I have already appointed Roy actually I'll probably be the first to go the chapel take over he'll go then David will go and Roy will be last but you you know the end is near when Roy goes to jail <laughs> now before we start blaming Barack Obama and the su Supreme Court for this decision that took place Friday, you know who we might want to blame? God. God. I know that's a bold statement, but God. You know, when I was hearing everybody calling for prayer, and I prayed on this issue, and I'm sure you did too, deep down in my heart, I don't know if you felt this way, but deep down in my heart, I knew that this decision was going to go down the way it went down. I had no doubt about it. And I, I don't want to say we were wasting our time praying because I think as a church we had a duty to pray that God would change it. But God could have changed this. He could have swayed the heart of Kennedy and he would have voted the other way. But he didn't. So God has allowed this decision to go, go down. In the book of Daniel, uh, we saw this Wednesday night, uh, Daniel said God raises up kings. And he brings kings down. Who gave us Barack Obama? We elected Barack Obama, but who ultimately was on his throne when Barack Obama became president? God was. You think God didn't know that Barack Obama would appoint Supreme Court justices and that, that 
these justices would, would vote this thing in when he allowed Barack Obama to be president? Certainly he knew that. So God has allowed this to happen to our country. And before we start throwing stones at homosexuals, we might want to take a close look at ourselves. And ask why God is allowing such a thing to happen to this nation. I think I know why. The church, and I'm not talking so much about you, but the church is a mess. It's a real mess. Just a few years back, one of the leaders actually was the president of the NAE, the National Association of Evangelicals. He was spouting out against homosexual marriage while at the same time he was having a homosexual affair with a male prostitute. Doing drugs. I mean, this is president of one of the, I mean, he was a pastor of one of the largest churches in America. He was president of the National Association of Evangelicals. He's crying out against homosexual marriage. And he's having an affair with a male prostitute. Last year, the pastor of the largest Calvary Chapel in the United States of America, the pastor of one of the largest churches in America, had to step down because his board discovered that he was, had a series of affairs over his ministry and he was addicted to pornography. And he was crying out against homosexual marriage. I've seen statistics that say, and I, you don't know how you, if you can back these statistics up, but I know it's a problem. I know at the very least it's a problem. I've seen statistics that say at least 50% of pastors are addicted to pornography. And I can tell you right now, I'm not one of them. And I'm certainly not perfect by any means. My wife thinks I am, but, and, I, and I got an amen to that, I'm not. <laughs> And I'm not casting stones here because I believe any of us can fall. What bothers me is how pastors can get up in the pulpit and live a lie. Just live a lie. Last week, the pastor of one of the other largest churches in America, Coral Ridge Ministries, that's grandson of Billy Graham, had to resign because they found out, found out that his wife was having an affair with another man in the church while he was having an affair with another woman in the church. So they had a real swingers club going right there in the church. And probably the one that bothers me the most is the pastor of the Calvary Chapel where I went to in Florida, last month got arrested for murder. 
he was having a polygamous affair while he was in the ministry, the last few years of his ministry. He was having a polygamous affair, again, living a lie, having a polygamous affair with a woman, and one of the, one of the women, one of, the, one of his wives, he had two, one of them ended up dead. And now he's been arrested for murder. Now, if things are bad with the pastors, and that's kind of the tip of the iceberg, what's that say about the iceberg? I mean, hopefully the iceberg's better than that. But as a pastor, you know, I know it's not. I know we got a lot of problems in the church, a lot of immorality in the church. You want my take on it, the church is full of immorality and adultery and pornography. And so it's real easy for us to slam, point the finger at the homosexuals and talk about how terrible they are. They're not as terrible as us. Hey, it's all bad in God's eyes. And God's about to force a change on us. I have no doubt about that. The Bible says judgment begins with the house of God. Now, judgment's a pretty strong word. I mean, you're talking about ju- you mean you mean to tell me God's going to judge the church? Yeah, He's going to judge the church. These last days, He's going to judge the church. He's going to weed out the pretenders first of all. That's what He's going to do, and then He's going to strengthen what the remnant that's left. How's He going to do that? Well. I, I, I figure he's going to do it somewhat like he did it in Lot's life. You remember what happened with Lot when, when there was this, this chance to, to, to go one direction? Abraham and Lot were splitting up. Which direction did Lot go? He went in the direction that was most attractive, the most worldly. Did somebody read a verse today in the, in the prayer time before we, before we did worship? And they read that verse about do not love the world. If you, don't, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. But for, I've been around long enough to know, hey, we love, a lot of us love the world. We're worldly. And what did it take to get that out of Lot? Lot had to go see what the end result of worldliness was. So God allowed him to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. And we're told in 2 Peter that, that while he was there, his soul was vexed continually. His soul was troubled continually by what he saw. And I think that's what it's going to take for us to come out of the world. We're going to have to look at where all this world heads and we're going to have to say, I don't want that. I'm going to retreat from this world, not we're going to be in the world. Jesus said, don't take them out of the world. I leave them in a world for a purpose, to to win lost souls. But we're not to be of the world. And I'm telling you right now, if I've got a sin, that's it. And most of you, I know pretty well, if that's your sin, that's it too. We're too worldly. We're full of idolatry. Worst of all, this is what I think is the worst thing that's going on in the church today, is we're full of apathy. 
we really don't care. Well, we're going to have to start caring here pretty soon, guys. Because it's coming at us. And God's going to force a change upon us. You know, I said a while ago that God, we might want to blame God. God does not tempt us to evil. God did not do this evil. I'm not saying that at all. I know who's behind all of this. The devil's behind all this. Now, the homosexuals are all celebrating that they've got their right to marry. marry and, and, you know, I don't think the devil's purpose was to make the homosexuals happy. I don't think that was his purpose at all. Let me tell you what his purpose was. And his purpose is, his purpose is to silence the church. That's his purpose. That's the purpose behind all of this. And you better believe that's what's gonna, gonna, what he's going to try to do with us. This issue is not going to go away. Meanwhile, there's a lot of believers. I've heard some, I've, I've listened to some, some pastors' comments on this, and it's like, well, it's, it's part of the land. We just go on with our business as if nothing happened. Hey, this is not going to go away. The devil wants to silence the church. And I can tell you his plan right now. I'm going to tell you how it's going to happen. Those churches that do not do homosexual weddings, do not embrace homosexual marriage, they're going to lose, you, you remember I said this, they're going to lose their tax-exempt status. Let me tell you, that's going to hit the church two ways. One, when you give an offer to the church, you won't be able to deduct it. So there's going to be a lot of churches that aren't, aren't going to address They're going to sweep this issue under the rug. And they're not going to address it. So some of you guys will leave here if we lose our status because you want your deduction. You want your tax deduction. Hopefully none of you will. Hopefully you, you, you're more serious about your faith than that. But, but, but that's going to happen. We also... For just this little church right here, we would pay $20,000 a year in property taxes if we didn't have a property exemption. We won't have that exemption anymore. You understand? What's, it's going to put the evangelical true, I, don't, I hate that word evangelical anymore because that's, that, that's about as bad as anything else. But the churches that are really trying to teach the word and stand by the word, they're going to have a tough time. And the devil's going to try to shut them down. And I think to some degree he'll have some success at that. But it's not just the church that's going to get shut down. As a citizen, you're either going to tolerate homosexual marriage or you're going to be considered intolerant. And it's going to be a price to be paid. It's going to hit you. It's going to hit you at your workplace. It's going to hit you. You have to be careful what you say. Because if you speak out against homosexuality, you're going to be accused of committing a hate crime. Watch it. Remember I said that. And you'll either go to, you'll be fine. You'll go to jail. And when you get out, 
you'll go to a re-education center so that you can be brainwashed so that you agree with homosexual marriage. Oh, that'll never happen in the United States. It is happening right now. In Oregon, and Colorado, people have been ordered to take re-education so that they learn about the values of homosexuality. It's coming. At your job, you'll see it soon. They're going to send you questionnaires on how you stand on this homosexual marriage issue. Chase has already done that. Chase Bank has already done that, sending them out to their employees. Now, they haven't fired anybody over it yet. And I don't know that they would get away with that right now. But you understand the, the number of cases that are going to hit because they're coming after us. The number of cases that are going to hit the judicial system, and there's no way the Supreme Court who's saying, well, we're, we're going to protect religious freedom. There's no way they're going to be able to, to stop all of those cases. And all of these lower courts are filled with liberal judges. So there's going to be one after the other. And there's no way, unless you're a millionaire, you're going to be able to fight your way to the Supreme Court. Pretty bad stuff. There's some good news here. First of all, I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow. That's, that might be bad news. You know, we're, 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 we're like the frog that likes to get boiled really slowly. So we go about our business tomorrow as if nothing happened. And probably nothing is going to happen. It's going to take it a few months, maybe a few years, to work its way through the court system. But the good news is, you know, you've got a little bit of time. But once it works its way through the court system, we're going to see lots of persecution. I really believe we're going to see lots of person persecution. But you know what? It's always this way. What the devil intends for evil, God intends for good. And God will use this for good. Hey, God has not abdicated his throne. Despite of what these Supreme Court justices think, God has not abdicated his throne. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Kennedy will bow. Obama will bow. This whole, the whole world will bow. You and I will bow. You know what? Here's what I'm hoping. Maybe the vision's wrong. Maybe the vision still has a while before it takes place. And I'm almost believing that maybe this is going to set up some political change in our country. Maybe the winds are going to blow differently. Maybe there's, when people see this in their face, they're going to get, finally get tired of it. 
And maybe we'll see some godly men and women elected to office. But I'll tell you this, if you see, I could almost give you some names. If you see so-and-so elected president, you just about can hang it up, we're done. We're done, we're toast. I'm not talking about Ben Carson. (laughs) But maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe, God is going to do a revival now. Or maybe we're coming to the end. And the Lord's going to come get us. And take us out of here. But no matter what happens, I know what we all need to be doing. We all need to be doing exactly what the author of Hebrews has been teaching us and telling us. We need to be drawing near to God. As near as we possibly can get. We need to put away our idols. I don't know how much more we're going to have to see before we do that. But we need to put away our idols and draw near to God and begin to work together. Because I know this, that in the darkest times, God does his greatest work. He does his greatest work in the church He does the greatest work in the world, and he does his greatest work in us as individuals. And it all begins when we draw near to God. We're running late. I was going to give you, I was going to bless you with two sermons today. But maybe the thing to do instead of starting the sermon is just read one verse from our text last week. And close with that. He says in verse number 10, by that will, what will is he talking about? Remember what Jesus said in Psalm 40, that messianic psalm? He said, sacrifice and burnt offerings... For sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them. He says, but a body you have given me. Behold, I have come to do your will. What's his will? His will was to die for us on a cross. By that will, we have been sanctified. What's it mean to be sanctified? To be made holy. That word's translated holy. It's translated perfect. It's translated a saint. By that will, we have been made holy. Perfect and holy and saint. Thank God for that in these dark times. Thank God that you know that you've been made holy. You've been made perfect by the will of God. And if you're here today and you haven't been made holy and you haven't been made perfect and you haven't been made a saint, let today be the day. Don't keep putting this off. You don't want to be left here when 
this thing really gets bad. For by that will we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Once. He's done all he can possibly do for us. He's done all he can possibly do for every one of us. He has opened the way for us into the very presence of God. By his blood, by sprinkling of the blood, he's made us saints, he's made us holy, he's made us perfect. And if we ignore that privilege, and we go about our lives as if it doesn't matter, Whatever comes our way, we deserve. It's time for us to get serious, to wake up and draw near to the Lord. You draw near to the Lord, you're going to find the power to face these times and to do wonders during these times. You're going to find the grace you're going to find the power to be a witness during these dark times. God still has great plans for his church. Don't get me wrong here. I'm not hanging up the spurs. We're not done. We're only about to begin. So be encouraged. I know that wasn't the most encouraging message in the world. <laughs> but for a Christian, you can be encouraged. Hey, I'm looking forward to what God's going to do. I think it's going to be fun times, tough times, but fun times, exciting. Let me say not fun, but exciting times. I like riding motorcycles down a big mountain, you know what I mean? We're about to get on the motorcycle and go down the big mountain. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of being your children. Shame on us, Lord, for ignoring that great privilege. Shame on us for not realizing that you've made the way open into your holiest of holies, into your very presence. And we've ignored that for the things of this world. Lord, help us to get serious. Now's the time to get serious about our faith. Get serious about our relationship with you. Father, if there's anyone in this room today who doesn't know you as their Savior, Lord, right in that seat where they're sitting, they can receive Jesus Christ in their heart. I just ask today be the day of their salvation. Lord, I know if if they do that, you're going to make yourself real to them in a way they, they couldn't possibly believe. You're going to change their life, and you're going to give them strength to face difficult times, the difficult times we're all going to go through. Lord, I pray for our nation. I pray that the solution to this situation is revival, Lord. I pray you use revival. And, and, and Lord, if nothing else, there's a remnant that grows strong in, in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we just praise you and thank you for, for the peace and joy we have, even in the midst of tribulation, in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.